Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. You're listening to the QuickBook Reviews podcast. Brighten your day with a book. Hello, my fellow bookworms. This is Philippa from QuickBook Reviews. How are you all? Are you okay? All's well with me. Um, a bit of an update on the old sofa saga. I know I've uh, told you in previous episodes all about the uh, slight issue that's been going on with the sofas. Well, the new ones have arrived, which is good news. The slightly bad news for me, although I haven't told anyone in the family this, so don't tell them, okay? Um, but the colour's okay. The colour's okay. They're very slippery. I sit on on the sofa and I find I'm sliding everywhere. Don't like that. They're too high up, and they're too deep, and they're too big. Apart from that, they're they're lovely and they're staying. I'm not going through another sofa change. And if you've no idea what I'm talking about, probably be grateful because there has been quite a quite a saga. Um, I've had a, a lovely few days. I started to do some cooking for the family. And uh, I didn't, another thing I didn't tell them, a bit of a theme here, but they said, oh, you know, how did it go? Did it go well? Oh, yes, easy enough. I set fire to the tea towel. Let's be honest, not just, oh, is that a bit of smoke? Flames had to go in the sink. It's amazing how quickly a fire can spread. Uh, That was my takeaway observation from that. Um, And my other observation was I just shouldn't be let alone in a kitchen. It doesn't work. It's not safe for anybody. But there we go. so are you all well? If if you want to join our Facebook group, you'd be ever so welcome. You just type in the QuickBook Reviews podcast and uh, we'd love to see you there. It's great to talk about what we're all reading. And there's been a lot of books being read. Now, I'm going to try and cover everybody that, that mentioned what they were reading. So bear with. But Zoe's reading Two Wrongs by Mel McGrath. Oh, did you just hear my wonky chair then? You see, this is the trouble. I'm working in substandard conditions, sofas I don't like, a chair that's wonking when I move it makes a noise. Anyway, Zoe was reading Two Wrongs by Mel McGrath, Andrew reading The Darkest Evening by Anne Cleves, Carol reading One by One by Ruth Ware, Um, Yona's reading Orphea by Joanne Harris, Laura's reading Anatomy of a Scandal by Sarah Vaughan, Uh, Janine's reading All the Rage by Cara Hunter, Uh, Sue is reading Courtiers by Lucy Worsley. Helen's reading Notes from a Small Island by Bill Bryson. Lauren's reading Half a World Away by Mike Gale. Um, Gosh, we've got Claire reading The Little Swiss Ski Chalet. We've got Johan reading The Pinocchio Brief by Abby Silver. That's a 
that's a book I ha I've read some time ago and really enjoyed. In fact, I need to get back to Abbey Silver books. Anyway, come on, Philippa. Um, Stess reading Heresy by S.J. Paris. Laurie's reading um, The Tantalisingly 27, uh, which sounds fascinating, by Janet uh, Evanich. Uh, Leslie's reading Homecoming by Susie Steiner. Julie's reading The Thursday Murder Club by Richard Osman. Debbie's reading Little Fires Everywhere by Celeste Ning. And Sue is reading The Sixth Extinction by Elizabeth Colbert. A wide variety of books are being read and there's a wide variety of books that I've been reading uh, recently and I can't wait to talk to you about them. So the first one is called How to Master Your Monkey Mind by Don McPherson. That is a non-fiction book and my goodness, I know I go on about how sort of self-help books never quite really do it for me. This was a good book and we're going to be talking to Don. I can't wait to talk to him about what made him write the book and the background and all sorts of things. So anyway, How to Master Your Monkey Mind by Don McPherson. Uh, then we've got One by One by Ruth Ware, which of course Carol has been reading. So Carol and I are sharing that book. Um, Bridgerton, The Duke and I by Julia Quinn. I'm sure you're aware of the new Netflix Bridgerton series. Well, this is the the first book in the in, in the the book series. I'm really not good with my words today, but anyway, Bridgerton the Duke and I is the first in the series of books, and it's what sparked the whole thing, and it's where the Bridgerton TV series came from. So I thought it would be good to to read that. Also, they're very good colours. The books, which look very nice on my rainbow bookshelves. Um, then we've got The Long Way to a Small Angry Planet by Becky Chambers, and finally we've got The Journal of a Psychotherapist During Lockdown by Jane Haynes. So quite a selection. Um, but before we go on with all the other books, I'm lifting up this How to Master Your Monkey Mind. Um, and on the cover, it says overcome anxiety, increase confidence and regain control of your life. Um, Ten simple tools to tune your brain. And it includes a free audio download. Um, I really liked this book. This, I would say, so far is the top self-help I call it self-help it's it's not really it's um Don McPherson's incredible research that is helping me but okay let's call it self-help it's the best self-help book I've read so far um that's not to say that it's got everything and you still have to do the work that's the problem you know I just long for a book where you read practically just the title and it completely fixes you and, and you're all fine anyway here we go here's the blurb are you sitting comfortably? That's not the blurb, sorry. I, this is the blurb about star. Are you a worrier? Distress and anxiety cloud your mind. Can everyday challenges sometimes weigh you down? In How to Master Your Monkey Mind, renowned mind coach Don McPherson shares his 10 simple tools to help you quiet the negative chatter in your head, ease anxiety and restore calm and confidence to your life. With over 25 years experience in his field, Don is known as the monkey whisperer for his ability to help his clients control the often disruptive monkey mind. Using his unique blend of Eastern philosophies, mind management techniques and neuroscientific theory, he has helped dozens of sporting professionals from the world of Formula One, international rugby and tennis to find calm and focus when performing under pressure. He's also coached countless people with a diverse range of issues such as anxiety, stress, lack of confidence and relationship problems. Um, I like the book. I like the way it breaks it down into individual chapters. So you don't just have to sit and read the whole book. You can just read a chapter, 
and take it from there. Um, and I think it's also good to go back to, and it will be a book that I'm going to go back to, that I can just pick out a chapter at a time. I found it easy to read. I found it informative, educational. Um, and it, there's just one chapter alone, and I'm going to talk to Don about it as well, but it's about sleep. And there's a certain process he gives about how to try, particularly if you wake up in the night, how to try and go back to sleep. And so after reading this book, I sat, I woke up and I sat there and I'm going, well, this isn't going to work, but I'll, I'll do it. I'll follow what he says and then I can be all snide and sarcastic about it. Um, and I did it. And the next thing I knew, it was time to get up in the morning. And I just thought, oh, my goodness, this is incredible. Um, so, yes, I think we should talk to Don now. So, Don, thank you so much for joining me today. I really appreciate it. You're welcome. Thanks for having me. Well, wanted to talk to you about, about this book, How to Master Your Monkey Mind. Even the, the title gripped me and, and made me think it was a, a book I, I had to read. This is not a new endeavour for you, though. It, it's something that it, it seems you've developed over some time. Could we just start with a brief summary of, of your quite extensive background? Well, um, you, mean, you mean how the monkey came into being or how I got into mind coaching altogether? Well, let's start with the mind coaching, the, well, mind the coaching, real background. Well, basically, mind coaching, I, I reversed into it from the world of mainly Formula One motor racing, where I had a management company and was looking after some racers, one guy in particular, a guy called David Brabham. And um, it became clear that there were problems with, in looking after the mental health of the, not only the drivers, but the mechanics and all the entourage that followed the circus around the world, it was Formula One. They weren't, in my opinion, being looked after. And that came to a, a peak, it was a tipping point when David's teammate, uh, the lovely Austrian Roland Ratzenberger, was killed in 1994. And I was there and shocked at the apparent lack of attention regarding the mental health of the mechanics Never mind the drivers who had to be back in action seven days later. And of course, following day, Ayrton Senna himself was killed. Yeah. And that was a tipping point for me to realize I needed to do more to look after the people I was supposedly managing or mentoring, perhaps is a more accurate word. So I reversed into mind coaching, and the, the book explains I don't want to boy with the full story how I actually morphed into a, a mind coach, which was difficult for some people obviously only known me as a as a mentor manager but um that's that was my I was determined that became my mission and then the monkey metaphor which I'm very grateful to the Buddhists for it's it's thousands of years old I can't claim any credit to invent it but it's been so helpful to me because when I fell upon it in my in my voracious reading it resonated that they said that the voice in the head that we all have, the chattering voice in the head that everybody has, it resembled a restless monkey swinging from tree to tree, aimlessly chattering about everything and, and anyone and unmanaged. Mm. And that certainly uh, definitely resonated with me. But I also recognized Philippa, that if it resonated with me, I could help people to have a better understanding of their own inner dialogue. And I also thought that the phrases self-talk and inner dialogue were a bit tired and 
it, it kind of gave it a more interesting connection mm. uh, to your own inner chatter. And I think the stronger the connection you have to anything, the better relationship that you can have and you can almost lighten up about it. It's why Sebastian Vettel gives his Formula One cars a nickname every year. And I asked him and he said, it just it firms up the connection. It makes the relationship just a bit more alive, even mm. though it's only a piece of metal or Kevlar in the case of a Formula One car. So that's how I that's how I got into mind coaching. That's how the monkey mind metaphor is it a metaphor or a simile? I'm never quite sure. <laughs> Either way, it's helped me to help others to connect to the inner chatter that we all have. And I think that's very reassuring because when you say, you know, we all have this um, narrative in, in our minds and, and it, it makes it more acceptable. You, it's, it's not just me. It's not just you. It, all of us have it. And it's just um, the speed at which it might talk and, and how it distracts us from other things that might vary from person to person. But we're not on our own. Um, what made you write this book now? <laughs> Yeah, having said for years, I never would. And uh, a lovely lady at the Trans World, Michelle, uh, she managed to persuade me. I'd always said, Philippa, that I honestly, and I'm not being falsely coy here, I never thought that the work I did was that different, that special. Neither did I think the monkey metaphor would actually be interesting enough or even filling enough for a book it might be a small book one of those little ones that you leave in the loo you know pick it up and flip through it but never a sort of full-on book and I said to this lady no I really she said we would like you to write it and if you don't know you never will and I said well maybe I never will she said why not well I felt I've got to write about the tools I've got to basically give everything away and yeah. then you know, it's the end of the business. But then I thought, well, I'm an old fart now anyway. I don't know how many more years I'll be doing this. So maybe the timing's right. So I decided to do it. But the reason that she really sold it to me was that she said she liked the way that I, I, sim I attempted to simplify things that were often very complicated in the world of the brain, neuroscience, and, and that uh, again resonated with me because I've had the same experience that a lot of books on the brain, some of them are damn good, but a lot of them you just get, I don't know, a third or halfway through and you, you get fatigued at all the long mm. names without 16 syllables and all in Latin and it's all fine for a while, but I just, I just never managed to plough through. It was like walking through treacle with a lot of them. So I thought, well, if I could simplify it, and put it in a language that was fun but still serious in a way that people could say okay well yes I can see that from a different angle and lighten up a bit about it but I still need to fix it where's the tool mm. so it became about the tools but then I wanted it to be about the people that I'd worked with not about me um, and that was tricky because the publishers would say, well, you've got to say that, that you know, you're quite good at this. Otherwise, people aren't going aren't to think, well, why, why should I believe him? How good is he? But I think you always need other people to, to speak up about you. I've never been comfortable in, in saying, oh, yes, I'm really good at that, really good at this. It's not a lack of confidence. It's just you see these books and they always say groundbreaking new book. You know, and that, those are the phrases that make me cringe a bit because it's not groundbreaking, but I hope it's interesting. 
and for me I think my my problem is that I always approach I call them self-help books but these sort of educational books with the assumption that I will read one sentence and it will completely change my life um, I don't have to do the hard work of actually you know going through the whole book and doing all the exercises yeah. it's not that simple it's a serious thing and it and it does need more your more work but it's it just felt like your book was it helps you more along that process and breaks it down into understandable chapters was that a deliberate approach well i have to say i'm very pleased to hear you say that because that that was what i really that was a message i did or what was the style i wanted to to write in um yes it's difficult isn't it to to write it in that way and still get through to people. Uh, for me, the books that I struggle with would give you homework, as it were, which is mm. a pretty dreadful word for me anyway. <laughs> for my school day, I still cringe at the word homework, which I never did, my fault. But if you ask people to do, you know, write down everything or do this exercise in order to get your brain working better, I'm not saying they don't work, but I am saying that if people are like me, I'm, I'm quite lazy. And I'd rather that people did things for me to a degree in the end, you know, you've got to get off your ass and do, do something yourself. Mm. I can't fix people and I don't attempt to fix people. And most of the people I work with aren't broken anyway. They just need a lead to be able to see things potentially from a different angle, put things into a different meaning and perspective. So it's all about the different tools. It, for, it wasn't enough I discovered, Philippa. There's a lot more to this than just telling people you need to, need to be calm, you need to cheer up, you know, you need to do this. Yeah, okay. I think, I think probably most people know if they're depressed and it's not really very helpful to tell them to cheer up. Yes. And, and what I liked as well is you, you've got these sort of, these 10 tools and you can just focus on one in isolation. You don't have to complete the whole book and then start work on it. You can just say, right, this is perhaps you're at a point where it's too much to take in. I'll just focus on one chapter and 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 that can have a big impact on its own, I would say. Yeah, I, I, th I hadn't thought of it that way. And I, I think that's occurred more by accident than design or, or else the Michelle, the editor, was even cleverer than I thought, and she was already moulding it that way. She did get me to, to manage to relate one tool to one to each case study, which was mm. far more down to her than to me. Um, but yes, it, it has turned out to be a sort of pick and mix, hasn't it, if that's the right phrase, where if you, if you felt that your current issue might be a lack of confidence, for example, not many people, I mean, I work with a quite a few rugby players and footballers and obviously their confidence ebbs and flows all the time as it does in our lives but particularly in sport you can have one brilliant game one day especially golf and be absolutely mm. rubbish the next and not know why and how to be how to be more confident is quite a tricky one to write uh, how to be more successful too so I think there's a danger of writing books when you say things like I can make you richer I can make you thinner you know, I think there's a yeah. danger of, of arrogance creeping in there. I'm not saying I can make you more confident in the book. I'm saying this is a tool that I gave to Formula One racers, rugby players, cardiac surgeons, for them to test out and tell me 
really bluntly and frankly, did this help? Did this work? And if it didn't, and some did, said, yeah, kind of, but it may be if you just did this with this a little bit and tuned it a bit more, it'd be even more helpful. So I was in this privileged position of getting fantastic feedback from these guys in, in downright dangerous situations a lot of the time. And that was, a, that was a massive privilege to learn from them. They were my teachers, Philippa. Mm. And the, the chapter that has really struck me is the one on sleep, actually. Um, I found that particularly interesting and one I could quickly test. I'm not going to reveal what you suggest um, in the chapter. People have to read the book. But um, I would find I would often, well, every night I'd wake up during the night and then I'd put on a podcast to listen to. And uh, usually I would find it so interesting. I would end up staying awake and, and not able to get back to sleep. So I, I admit somewhat um, sarcastically, I thought, oh, all right, I'll, I'll try what Don says in, in his book. Uh, this is not going to work. And oh, my goodness, the next thing I knew, I was waking up at, at the time I was supposed to wake up. And I have tried it again and again. And it, it really works. I mean, it's it's just incredible. And in, even simple nuggets like that can can really help. Well, I, again, I have to say, I'm so delighted to you say that because the 10 tools are not just randomly chucked in the book to, you know, to fill space. They have, they have really been forensically road tested by people who I would trust to say, that's crap, that won't work. Mm -hmm. Chuck it in the, in the bucket and come up with another one. And I did get you know, quite a lot of strong feedback in the early days when they were a bit raw, these tools, and they've been They've been finely tuned, honed down, polished, repolished, brought out again, tested in more and more extreme circumstances with, uh, with insomniacs. Mm. Um, and, you know, obviously there's a pandemic of, of, of people not being able to sleep at the moment. Uh, I, I'm a rubbish sleeper. I, you know, um, I, but I, I absolutely promise you that I employ the sleep tool the sleep psychology alongside the sleep hygiene and as I do say in the book please don't forget sleep hygiene and I'm not dissing it this isn't take, uh, taking over and please do work with the medics I do and occasionally I would take a mild sedative if Mike the monkey uh, is just so restless about something mm. you see at night Philippa you're a sitting duck for the monkey as it were it's a rather odd thing to say I know not the monkeys attack ducks, but you are a sitting target because everything's quiet, got no distractions. That's why you, you were putting your podcast on. Mm. That's why people mm. read, is to quieten the monkey down and then there's a good chance to go back to sleep. And quite often, that's all you've got to do. But these days, it is more difficult to get back to sleep. I crash out because I'm so knackered mm. at the end of each mm. night. No problem, especially with the aid of a Japanese whiskey or two. No more than that. But it's easy to crash out at three o'clock, whatever. And, you know, I get up to go to the loo maybe and I come back and I'm, I'm tired. I'm almost staggering back into bed thinking this would be easy to go back to sleep. And within seconds, I can hear Mike. Have you done that email? Have you done some research for Philippa tomorrow? You know, you've got an important podcast tomorrow. Did you, did you check on what she said? Have you still got the, the link for the Zoom? You know, what are you doing? Get up and check. And I have to say, you know, shut up, I, let's, uh, let's do some nice, well, yes. you know, you know right. what's coming. Right. Yeah, yeah. Delighted I could help you with your sleep. And I hope, 
I hope people, I hope that is highlighted because 80, 90% of people who come and see me or contact me remotely are really struggling with sleep at the moment. Mm. That'd be great if that would help more people. Even that one tool would, that was the only one. If the book was about sleep, that would be, that would make me happy if it worked. I was interested in how the pandemic has, in your view, sort of affected anxiety as a whole and how you're helping people to manage it. Well, rather predictably, it's massively increased the levels of anxiety. And of course, people who were already prone to being more anxious than average before the COVID, uh, it won't be rocket science for people to understand that they're even more anxious within they are far more anxious because they feel trapped, they feel their lives are out of control, they, they can't see a way out of this, this entrapment, or this trap rather, it's forced on them. Um, the one thing human beings really don't like is to feel that they're out of control mm. or some things or somebody is controlling them and that is frustration and anger, anxiety, negative emotions that can only get worse if the situation remains as is. The biggest cause of depression is ongoing anxiety, ongoing unresolved issues. In my experience over many years in dealing with anxiety and depression, it's, it's an unresolved anxiety because the, the monkey, our, all our monkey minds are desperately trying to find a way out, find a solution, an answer, to getting, getting out. That's why we're all screaming at Boris, where's the map out of this lockdown? We've had enough. Um, I've had enough, Mike's had enough. You know, let's, let's get out of here. So the monkey's job is to, is to look after you, keep you safe, but also find solutions to problems. And if there is no solution, this is the problem with an illness of some poor person's got an illness that, and they hear the doc say, I'm sorry, there's no cure for this, you know, that's it. Um, well, you know, you can, see, you can see quite easily how that would bring depression down quite quickly mm. because the monkey's saying, well, we're stuffed, there's no hope. We all want hope, even if it's a little remote and there's a fog around it. We all need a little bit of hope. And hopefully the book will give people some of that. When you meet someone in, you know, in the normal days when you could meet, meet people um, face to face, could, can you tell how, how anxious they are? You know, are there giveaways that you are now, with all your experience, able to spot? Yeah, um, I look at you now and see the exact opposite of somebody who's anxious. Yeah, it, I've studied body language. I find body language fascinating. Never mind that the, uh, what is the phrase, the eyes are the, are the windows of the soul. We all know that one, but there's far more, far more than that. The way people smile, uh, the way people move. I mean, some of the, some of the ways that we express, well, let me put it to you this way, 90, roughly speaking, 90% of all communication is nonverbal. Mm. And the remaining 10% is made up of, of being vocal. And that 10% is split between the words you choose and the tone of your voice with the, in, in articulating the words you've chosen. But 90% of the way we are communicating is with our bodies. Not with just our eyes, but all sorts of other things. And what you look for is a cluster. One on its own won't do. If I decide someone's got anxiety in their eyes and make an instant decision that they're really anxious, I could be wrong. It could be just the way, the way they are. 
but if I see that, slumped shoulders, crossed legs, crossed arms, and a, and a feeling of, of hugging themselves, then I think that's enough of a cluster for me to think this poor person is so anxious, her or his world is shrinking into a ball, and they even look as though they're curling into a ball. I'm giving you visuals now, which no use at all to your podcast, I'm sorry. <laughs> no, it, it all helps. I mean, uh, are there things that people should be doing repetitively? You know, once, they've, if, once they get the book and they've read it, should they just keep rereading it almost? Is it a continuing exercise? That's a brilliant question. We said earlier you know, that we, we all want this magic bullet, don't we? This quick yes. fix. Me, me too. That's why we want a tablet. You, you, know, you buy a book and it says, oh, I, I can make you happy. And you go, cool, I'd like to be happy. We'd all like to be happier, even if we are happy. But, you know, I'd rather have that nice pink pill there and know that in 10 minutes I'm going to feel happy. <laughs> yeah. Okay. But that's not a good idea because, you know, we know what happens to the, that type of medication. The body gets used to it once more and then you end up depending on it. And then you don't know how to be happy without it. So we have to work on being happy naturally within ourselves. The, the not so good news is that we can't fix people. And I don't attempt to fix people in this book. I do attempt to simplify it. I do attempt to do most of the heavy lifting myself, having got bogged down with being given homework with other books of this type. I was determined, no homework in this book. I do the heavy lifting. But the truth is, and it must be said, Philippa, that mental skills are just like technical skills. The more you practice, the better you get. The more you practice the Zen breathing, the more you practice being more in tune with your monkey banter, you know, the more you use the, the Kaizen and the other tools in the book, the more you practice the sleep one, although I'm delighted to hear you say the sleep one works straight away, because actually that's a tool that should work straight away. And then, you, as you know, it does. You don't have to work that hard at it. <laughs> you can use it every night. There will be some nights when you've got so much on your mind or you may have a throbbing arthritic toe, as you have sometimes, and your monkey is screaming, for God's sake, do something about that throbbing toe. I can't get back to sleep. So you do something about the throbbing toe. You know, yeah. Put some gel on it, take an anti-inflammatory, and then might the monkey will say, well done, now we can go back to sleep. That's a different situation. But when you've just got this monkey chatter that won't let you sleep, then you have to do something about the monkey. And that's why uh, the title has to be about the monkey mind rather than anything else. Because that's what mind management is truly about, managing the monkey, the chattering voice. And was the uh, order of subjects covered in the book deliberate? Is it, is it a case of, well, the priorities are earlier on in the book and then you can add in extras as you go along? Or was that different? Uh, again, good question. I feel that you can, um, I'd like readers a feedback on this, but my idea was that you can mix and match. I've, I'm hoping that you can, but there is a bit of a sequence. And again, it became more by accident than design. But I do think the number one tool, the go-to, the first one, should be the special Zen breathing technique. Mm. Because that is the go-to. If you're in control of your breath, then you have a much, much better chance of being in control of your emotions and your thoughts. And if you're, if you're in control of your emotions and your thoughts, the monkey, you are then more in control of your motor skills. And that's particularly important if you're a racing driver or a golfer or a rugby player. But it's important even to be safe. You know, if you're suddenly in a dangerous situation, 
uh, yeah. you would hope that the monkey would shut up and let you work out what the best options were. Yeah. And if you're in control of your breath, you keep everything nice and under control. Because the first thing that goes turns to custard when you become anxious uh, is, is your breath. And you don't even know it's, 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 uh, it's, it's turned to custard. So, so what's next? Is there going to be more of Mike and more of how to master your monkey mind? You, you know, what, what's next? I'm really interested to know. Well, you've just, you've just, uh, you've just given me a real, really good idea then. Yeah, it would be funny to have the book about Mike, wouldn't it? And just have, because <laughs> he's quite a cute monkey, isn't he? Because you can see it. I can, and, but uh, listeners can't. But there is, no, there is a, but... a, a, a monkey who, he, he isn't a... a a live one. I mean, we're, no, yeah, I, we've given him. I, a I, have to, I have to stress immediately. I think Penny, my dog, was also with me. Would get upset if it was a live one. <laughs> no, stuffed monkey that my five grandkids play with and chuck around. Uh, he's he, he's been around a few years now, and he sits there all the time. And when clients come here, they sit on the settee, which you can just about see, and uh, they're introduced to Mike, and that's how I, I introduced them to their own monkey mind by saying, well, there's mine, let's talk about yours. So if you were here, not that you need a monkey MOT, but if you did, you'd be sitting over there next to Mike, and I'd uh, introduce you, as I did earlier. And uh, then we'd say, if you were happy about it and comfortable, uh, we would say, well, let's talk about your monkey. And it really gave me a lot of pleasure and still makes me smile when people started giving their own monkey minds names it uh, i guess it was prompted by me saying this is mike and people were saying oh yeah i think mine's called you know esmeralda or um, <laughs> maximus or ninja in one case I and mean, they give you clues as to what's going on in their head as yes well. yes and it's good because then it separates the anxiety from you and and shows that it you can con hopefully control it and and it doesn't have to be part of you forever well that is precisely the point and i'm so glad that you picked up on that because it's when you get if you if you start with the zen breathing it gives you a chance to take a step back as it were and listen not an obsessed way in a nice calm almost childlike way observe what your own monkey chatter is and by doing so it absolutely proves that you're not the monkey you know, the inner Philippa is the boss. It's where the real you is that you've become over all these years, all your character traits. Everything about you is inside you. Some people say it's in their chest, in their head, in their soul. It's, it doesn't matter where people think it is. It's the inner you. The monkey is not the boss. The monkey thinks it's the boss. That's the problem. And gets a bit big for its own boots and starts to take over too much of its responsibility. Mm. So by taking a step back, you can realize that this chattering voice is a part of you, mm. yes, but a part that you can manage and, and use the appropriate tools to manage the part of your monkey's uh, inappropriate behavior or inappropriate reactions in a way you feel um, is, is better for you to improve your life, but it's all about managing this monkey but first you have to observe it to know what it's what it's up to yes well um i have just thoroughly enjoyed talking to you today don about about this book and i really enjoyed reading it it's not one i'll be lending to anybody it's staying right with me <laughs> but i look forward to hearing more about you in the future thank you don well you're very welcome and thanks for having me philippa well that was very interesting wasn't it my goodness 
it just makes me want to go back and read the book again even even more fascinating i think that's the first non-fiction author we've had on the podcast so there we go we're starting a whole new craze here people but that, yeah really enjoyed that one how to master your monkey mind by don mcpherson now something very special we've got a we've got a giveaway of a copy a new copy of the book not one thumbed by me that's mine i'm not giving it away and frankly i don't think you'd want that one but no we've got a, another copy uh to to give away um so if you go over to the facebook group uh, the quick book reviews podcast group um join us you'll see all the details there be coming up on how to win yourself a copy of the book well win actually no we're not supposed to say it's winning it's a giveaway how to to celebrate the giveaway of this glorious book so there we go next let's go on to one by one by ruth ware now ruth ware is um, a writer that a lot of people know about particularly if they're into sort of crime and thriller books um and this one is very interesting because like a few of the books that i've been re reading recently it's set in snowy times and it's that sort of locked in feeling that just adds to it so here we go the compulsive atmospheric new thriller from the queen of the modern day murder mystery snow is falling in the exclusive alpine ski resort of saint antoine as the shareholders and directors of snoop the hottest new music app gather for a make or break corporate retreat to decide the future of the company at stake is a billion dollar dot com buyout that could make them all millionaires or leave some of them out in the cold. The clock is ticking on the offer and with the group irrevocably split, tensions are running high when an avalanche cuts the chalet off from help and one board member goes missing in the snow. The group is forced to ask, would someone resort to murder to get what they want? Um, so you meet all these different characters that come in at the beginning and I sometimes struggle with that because sometimes when there's quite a few characters coming in I lose track of who is who. What I really liked about this one is that when you first get to find out about each character you know what job they do whether they work at the chalet or whether they work at this app called Snoop. Um, so someone might be head of IT, someone might be finance, all different roles and that really helped me to visualise them and therefore I found the reading of it quite easy. I didn't get caught up in, well, who's this person? Who's that person? Um, so I thought that was really good. I have, let's be honest, I've heard some not so great comments about this, but I really enjoyed it. I thought it was really good. Um, it's one of my favourite Ruth Ware books, I would say. So if you're a Ruth Ware fan, then read it see what you think let, let me know but i enjoyed it i like the combination of the snow the different characters i like the fact that it was about this app and there was this business decision I, I just thought it was it was a good book um so yes that was one by one by ruth where now the next one is this bridgerton book Let's move that there. Bridgerton, The Duke and I by Julia Quinn. Um, obviously, they have hastily republished the book series uh, to include photos of the cast who are on the Netflix sister, uh, Netflix series um, have included those on the cover. So it's certainly a different cover than what you might have got if you'd bought the book six months ago. But this is the blurb. The first of Julia Quinn's best-selling and beloved Bridgerton novels, now a series. This is the story of Daphne and Simon. Welcome to the ballrooms of Regency London. Can there be any greater challenge to London's ambitious mummers than an unmarried duke? Lady Whistledown's Society Papers, April 1813. 
By all accounts, Simon Bassett is on the verge of proposing to his best friend's sister, the lovely and almost on the shelf, Daphne Bridgerton. But the two of them know the truth. It's all an elaborate plan to keep Simon free from marriage-minded society mothers. And as for Daphne, surely she will attract some worthy suitors now that a duke has declared her desirable. Their ruse works like a charm, at first. But as Daphne waltzes across ballroom after ballroom with Simon, it's hard to remember that their courtship is a complete sham. Maybe it's his devilish charm. Certainly it's the way his eyes seem to burn every time he looks at her. It wasn't the plan, but it seems she's falling for the Duke for real, and amidst the glittering, gossiping, cutthroat world of London's elite, there is only one certainty. Love ignores every rule. So if you haven't watched the series, um, gosh, where have you been? Um, do note, don't watch it with children. It, it's not one of those like, yes, children, we're going to learn um, about, you know, the about 1813 and we're going to soak in all the atmosphere and the costumes and the music. No, don't, don't. You'll find up to a few a few episodes and then and then you just don't need to. It's not one you want to watch with your parents. It's not, not that you can at the moment when I'm recording this anyway. It's not one that you want to watch with anyone where you might feel embarrassed at the amorous scenes, shall we say, that are portrayed in the uh, in the television series. Um, and I got this book not because I wanted to go go back through that story, but I'm keen to find out what happens next in the story. So I thought I need to read the first book because clearly some things have been done differently in the series, in the TV series than in the book series. And I just wanted to get an, a feel for that. Um, but I would say actually the, the, the book and the TV series are closely aligned in, in many ways. There, there weren't big changes. There was more in the book than I had thought that there would be. Um, and I'm keen to read on now and find out more about the families and the stories and more more about Lady Whistledown. I mean, in the TV series, they do reveal who Lady Whistledown was or is. Um, in the book, they don't. But I don't know if it's going to be the same person or not. Uh, and I'm just I'm just keen to to read a bit more. So, yeah, if you enjoyed the series, then then why not? And if you haven't watched it, then you still might find it interesting. Again, as with other books that I sometimes cover, if all you want to read about is a serial killer um, or some horror book or something very modern um, and sort of feminist writing, then this might not be for you. But it has got strong, gutsy females in and uh, and, and that's what I like. So you you could be a feminist and read this i would say um but obviously it's still uh, based in times when women didn't quite have the rights that they uh, allegedly do now i do feel like i'm getting on my soapbox i'm going to stop now philippa get off the soapbox anyway there you go bridgerton the duke and i julia quinn now the next one is a book i really really wanted to enjoy and I think it's my fault that I didn't. So it's still, I would say, a good book. It's called The Long Way to a Small Angry Planet by Becky Chambers. Um, it's part of a series of three. The last book in the series has only recently just come out. And it's sort of, it's sci-fi for people that don't normally read sci-fi. Um, there's someone that I follow who reads very, uh, very high-end literature 
Um, and this was a book that had been recommended to them. So I thought, oh, let, OK, I really want to get a good sci-fi series. Let's let's read it. Um, so the blurb is this. When Rosemary, Rosemary Harper joins the crew of the Wayfarer, she isn't expecting much. The Wayfarer, a patched up ship that's seen better days, offers her everything she could possibly want. A small, quiet spot to call home for a while, adventure in far off corners of the galaxy and distance from her troubled past. But Rosemary gets more than she bargained for with the Wayfarer. The crew is a mishmash of species and personalities, from Sissix, the friendly reptilian pilot, to Kizzy and Jenks, the constantly sparring engineers who keep the ship running. Life on board is chaotic, but more or less peaceful, exactly what Rosemary wants. Until the crew are offered the job of a lifetime, the chance to build a hyperspace tunnel to a distant planet. They'll earn enough money to live comfortably for years if they survive the long trip through war-torn space without endangering any of the fragile alliances that keep the galaxy peaceful. But Rosemary isn't the only person on board with secrets to hide and the crew will soon discover that space may be vast, but spaceships are very small indeed. Um, so as I say, it... I struggled with it. I got into it to begin with and then it just lost pace. But I really do think it was me. I do think it's a good book. If you're interested in trying something sci-fi but you've not come across anything that really works for you before, I would give it a, a go. I sincerely think it was just me and where my head was at or wasn't at um, that, that affected it, which is such a shame. But try it, see what you think and let me know. It's not your normal sci-fi book. Um, and I could just see it as a film as well, which would be great. Um, but yeah, give it a go and let me know what you think. I'm just, the jury's still out for, for me. Um, and the final is one, the final book is one that I got asked to read that was um, quite interesting. It's called The Journal of a Psychotherapist During Lockdown by Jane Haynes. Um, and it is literally her journal that she, she wrote from when lockdown first began. Uh, if you can remember that that far back. And what I found reassuring was that uh, she was going through it as, as much of, as any of us and um, the different diary entries, well, they just vary. Sometimes it's a poem, sometimes it's a picture, sometimes it's just a reflection on, on what's gone on. Um, so to some extent, it, it was very useful to have that. Um, I don't know necessarily if it's something that I would have read if I hadn't been asked to have a look at it. Um, but having said that, I did find it useful. So if that sounds like it's something that you would be into, then by all means have a read. Um, and the fact that she is using the proceeds to raise money for charities, that that's all, all great. Um, did it give me everything to walk away? Well, it, it gave me a reassurance. And sometimes to know that other people are going through the same things and the same concerns is reassuring. Um, and it will be interesting to see what she writes next. So that is The Journal of a Psychotherapist During Lockdown uh, by Jane Haynes. And as well as that one, we've covered How to Master Your Monkey Mind by Don McPherson. I loved that book. Not letting go of that one. One by One by Ruth Ware. Really enjoyed that. Bridgerton, The Duke and I by Julia Quinn. Yes, good good first book in the series and um, the long way to a small angry planet by becky chambers i 
I wish I'd enjoyed it more. And I think it's entirely my fault that I didn't. So there we go. It's all, it's all my fault. That's that's the summary of today's podcast. But enough about me. You've got things to do. I've got things to do. And I have got some brilliant books and a very interesting interview next week. Um, so in the meantime, join the Facebook group there where you'll see the giveaway for the book How to Master Your Monkey Mind. Um, and have a great week. And I'll speak to you soon. Take care now. Bye-bye. You've been listening to the Quick Book Reviews podcast. That's enough books, said no one, ever. See you again soon. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Flexibility is great. That's why there's yoga. Flexibility for your insurance coverage is great too. That's why there's United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, United Healthcare Insurance Plans offer flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. One of these plans may be right for you if you're, say, between jobs, coming off your parents' plan, turning a side hustle into a full hustle, or even missed open enrollment. Want more flexibility? Find out more about United Healthcare Insurance Plans at uh1.com. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.